0: is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory.
1: G'day there, my name is Dan Fitzgerald and thanks for joining me for the Country Hour this Monday lunchtime. Now I wonder if you've noticed some different mango varieties on your supermarket shelves this season. Today we're going to be checking some of them out.
2: Beautiful flesh on the inside and you have that nice blush on the outside as well, that nice pink, pink orangey blush, right well, that that flesh there that's that's just amazing isn't it and that's the sort of quality we we strive for here
1: yeah some of those are the lady jane the lady grace and the hula we'll be checking them out on the program today and also today guava root knot nematode it was first detected here in australia in the nt just a couple of weeks ago it's now been found in seven different locations you'll hear from the nt's chief plant health officer today And you'll also hear from a company that is making some good use of food waste from veggie farms.
3: Taking all of the vegetables that can't be harvested um, and turning them into high-nutrient vegetable powders. And those powders are now the star ingredient in our uh, NutriVee Goodie goodies snack. So something that would otherwise have gone to waste is now being repurposed into a food that Australians can enjoy.
1: Yeah, all those stories and more on the Country Hour today. But first up today, we can tell you that the developers of the Singleton Horticultural Precinct have referred the project to the NT Environmental Protection Authority for assessment. So the EPA, it will consider the potential environmental, cultural and economic impacts of this proposed farming project in Central Australia and it will decide if a full environmental impact assessment needs to take place before it goes forward for approval by the NT government. This is a pretty big deal. Uh, ABC Rural understands this is the first time a horticultural project has been referred to the NT EPA, and that's not surprising because this is one of the biggest, it is the biggest horticultural proposal that's been put forward to the NT Uh, Paul Purden from the Department of Environment explains.
4: The project, the Singleton Horticulture Project, is a proposed 3,300 hectare intensive irrigated fruit and vegetable farm. Fortune is proposing to develop that in four stages over nine years and the referral before the EPA is the full project, so it's construction and operation of the farm, which involves the farming production blocks, the Boarfield area where they would... um, Extract groundwater and their accommodation services hubs, so staff accommodation, processing, facilities, water supply, wastewater management, etc.
1: Yeah, there's a lot there to look at. Just how will the EPA go about assessing this whole project? Uh,
4: so, what is required at this point, and this is a very early stage for the EPA and in, in assessment process, is for the EPA to consider the referral that's been submitted by Fortune and to consider the submissions that will be received through the public consultation process and basically decide whether or not this proposal requires further assessment under the Environment Protection Act or not. And the decision for the EPA is, does the proposal as presented to it have the potential to have a significant impact on the environment? And the EPA decides yes, it will be assessed further. If the EPA decides no, that's the end of the process for them. But in doing that, the EPA needs to be looking at What are all the potential impacts of this proposal on the environment? And the environment is defined broadly to include biophysical, social and including cultural and economic environment. How are those impacts proposed to be managed or mitigated? And in assessing all that, are there any potential significant impacts that are remaining that the EPA would need to be assessing?
1: The water licence granted to the owners of Singleton Station, it's big, 40,000 megalitres a year. How is the EPA going to look at that in regards to its water licence and what impact that could have?
4: Yeah, so the proposal before the EPA is consistent with that. It is a 40 gigalitre a year maximum scale production. Um, The EPA is aware that there has been a water licence granted. Um, What the EPA will be looking at in the referral is how the proponent is proposing to manage the impacts of groundwater extraction. That licence as we understand it has controls in place to manage those impacts, Um, it'll be for the EPA to look at those controls and determine and make up its own mind about are those controls sufficient to manage environmental impacts to an acceptable level or not. So the EPA will make its own assessment under its own legislation through its own um, criteria, I guess, Um, but that license is relevant in that it sets controls that the proponent is relying on to make a case there's no potential impact here.
0: Mm.
1: And that that seems like a big job, um, trying to work out just what the extraction of that amount of water would do to an area.
4: I, I think it is. I think you're right. And, and you know, there's obviously, as you know, a lot of interest in this proposal and that licence. What the EPA does have in its favour there, though, is that there's been a lot of work done both leading into that licence and since around the particular issues of impacts from groundwater extraction both by the proponent, by the department, there's been reviews, etc., there's been reviews by external parties as well. So there's a lot of information for the EPA to be digesting and trying to assess in their consideration of this proposal.
1: If the Singleton Horticultural Project goes ahead as planned, it will be, according to its referral, uh, one of the largest fruit and vegetable developments in the country. Um, if, If there's nothing of this scale around right now, how can you determine if it is worth doing in Central Australia?
4: Um... So the EPA's, I guess, decision in in that very big question is around what are the environmental impacts? Can they be managed appropriately? And if so, the EPA will land in a position that and the EPA will provide advice to the Minister for Environment We think this can be managed acceptably. Alternatively, the EPA might decide that those impacts are too significant and they can't be managed appropriately and advise the Minister that the project should not be... Um, progressed. But that's the EPA's role. Ultimately, it is a decision for the Minister for Environment to grant an approval or not for the project.
1: This project is facing a lot of opposition from traditional owners in that area. There's currently a legal challenge against the water licence. Will you be taking the views of those TOs into account?
4: Um, The EPA has to. It's, It's written into the objectives of the Environment Protection Act that they do so. Um, and as I said, this is the very early stages of the assessment of this proposal, but even in the very early stages, we've had uh, on the proponent's own, I guess, volition and request an extension to the time frame for consultation on this referral to allow for greater engagement of stakeholders such as traditional owners in reviewing that um, referral and being able to comment. So... There's you know, one step in terms of, of bending the rules a little bit, or extending a time frame to allow for greater consultation, given the interest in the proposal, given the timing of the referral, this close to Christmas. Um, but yes, the answer is the EPA does need to take into account the the views of stakeholders, and we encourage encourage all stakeholders to be engaged in this uh, consultation process and to be um, providing submissions to us.
1: And there's a lot to take in with this referral um, all up. If you're taking the appendices into account, it's more than 1,300 pages long. Uh, how does that compare to what the EPA has assessed before?
4: Yeah, you've done the count as well as we have as well. That is that is a big referral. Uh, it's um, compared to many. Um, the proponent, as I said earlier, has, has had a lot of information to be able to pull together to submit to the EPA in the referral, which... I think it puts everyone in a good place to, to have information, but it does mean that there's a lot to a lot to review and digest and, and to assess and come to some sort of conclusion about. That's another reason why the time frame for this part of the process has been extended.
1: How long do you expect this whole process to take?
4: This stage of the process, we've got the consultation out until the thirteenth of February. Then the EPA has 30 business days to decide whether or not the project requires assessment or not. And this means, taxes okay, Texas, is late March. So at late March, we'll know whether the EPA has decided it requires assessment or not. From then, the time frame really depends on the level of assessment the EPA requires of it, uh, and that can really vary, subject to a whole range of variables. So ask me the question again on the 27th of March or thereabouts, and I might be able to have a a better indication of how long from that point in time.
1: Yeah, it looks like there's a fair bit of work ahead for the APA. Absolutely, there is. That is Paul Purden. He's Executive Director of Environmental Assessments and Policy with the Department of Environment, speaking there about Fortune Agribusiness' referral of its Singleton Horticultural Project to the APA, And as I said there, it is a big document, more than 1,300 pages long, when you add up all the appendices, which are going into things like crop trials and market analysis of all the sorts of things they want to grow there at Singleton. It looks at biodiversity assessments, groundwater extractions from its uh, water licence, social impacts, economics, salinity, um, it goes on and on. If you want to have a look at this, um, it's pretty easy to find. If you type into your search engine, N-T-E-P-A, scroll down, it's right there on the front page, um, and you can follow the links. Uh, As Paul Purden said there, public consultation has been extended more than the usual period for this, so it is open until February 13th next year, if you want to take a look at that. It is 20 minutes to one here on The Country Hour with me, Dan Fitzgerald. Hi, this is Robbie White. I'm the head stockman at Kalala Station. We're just here today doing some cutter work and some work in the shed today, getting ready to do some
5: fencing, and you are listening to The Country Hour.
1: I wonder if these mean anything to you. Scarlet Delight, Hula, Lady Jane, Lady Grace... Do those words mean much to you? Have you heard about them before? They are all new varieties or newish varieties of mangoes, and you might have started to see them on your supermarket shelves. The range of mangoes you can get, it just keeps expanding and expanding every year, and we're going to be taking a close look at some of these mangoes soon. But right now, it's time for a tune, and this is the Pigram Brothers. It is Oz Music Month here on the ABC For November, or what's left of it, uh, here's Moonlight. (music) That's the Pigram Brothers there with Moonlight on ABC's Country Hour program with me, Dan Fitzgerald. Hope your Monday is treating you well. Now, if you've been paying attention when you're in the supermarket, you probably noticed the increasing number of varieties of mangoes for sale. So in amongst you know, pretty well-known ones like Kensington Pride, R2E2 and Calypso, is a bit of a new wave of varieties with all sorts of different colours and flavours. Uh, one company rolling out some new varieties is Perfection Fresh, which has the Scarlet Delight and Hula varieties. At CEO Michael Simonetta. He spoke to Matt Brand about these varieties, which originate from Israel.
6: They're two new varieties that we've been... Uh trialling now for a number of years. This journey started 10 or 12 years ago when we imported the original rootstock from Israel. They're bred in Israel Uh, and we've trialled them now in the Northern Territory and in North Queensland up in the Atherton Tablelands and we've been very encouraged by how they've performed over the course of the last five to seven, eight years now since we first started seeing some fruit. So we've had this is our second year now of semi-commercial production. We're still two to three years away um, of, of, of being in full commercial production of these varieties, but we're certainly encouraged so far by how they're performing agronomically and also how they're being received by customers, retail customers and consumers alike.
7: For our radio audience, is it easy to explain what these varieties look taste like what makes them unique
6: yeah the scarlet delight is probably the most distinctive of the two because it's got that deep red scarlet skin color um, which is much deeper than what we traditionally know in in mangoes in australia of any of the uh, any of the traditional varieties australian varieties so it's it's got a much deeper red scarlet color and its flesh is darker than um, even a Kensington Pride or a Calypso Mango. Uh, and the Scarlet, I describe it as har- having an aromatic flavour and a mixture of. I taste a mixture of like peach and nectarine hints uh, in the flavour. Pula, I can, I always describe it as a Kensington Pride look-alike. It has a different flavour profile to Kensington Pride, even though it's more it's it's um, it's a more traditional mango flavour, but it's uh, it, it's uh it's 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 not quite as sweet as Scarlet Delight, but uh, certainly a, a a very pleasant flavour. Its major attributes are that it's uh, it's it's got great shelf life, uh, and with both of these varieties, they're ready to consume before they're before they're soft. So. They are ready to, if they yield to slightly to pressure in in the palm of your hand. If they yield slightly to pressure uh, with with slight pressure, they're ready to eat. So you should not wait for these mangoes to go soft before they, before you eat them.
7: And these two varieties, what sort of season has it been like for them in twenty twenty
6: two? All mangoes are later this year, so the whole season is a couple of weeks late because of the, uh, the colder than average temperatures and the rain that we've had. So uh, every, nobody's been exempt from the rain, obviously higher in some places than others. But the season is running two weeks later than last year. So um, the typical window for these varieties are Scarlet Delight will start earlier. It's an earlier maturing variety. So in the future, it'll start around the first week of October. And then Hula will start uh, harvesting probably the first week in November and they'll go through till early to mid-January, maybe into mid-February is the the window for them.
7: So at the moment, as you said, they're semi-commercial. So does that mean people might see them in their supermarket shelves?
6: Yeah, they'll be in some selected supermarkets and some independent retailers and independent supermarkets. There's not a great, there's not a huge volume of them this year, but they're out there. And as each year goes by now, you'll see more and more of them.
7: And for your company, what does the rollout plan look like from here on in terms of more production?
6: We've got a plan to, um, ramp up production for both varieties over the course of the next five years. And, uh, It'll be predominantly fruit that'll be grown in the Northern Territory and in the Atherton Tablelands. We are, we haven't begun trials anywhere further south yet, like say in Bundaberg or um, some of the southern regions. But we will in the future. So you know we we plan to uh, we plan to have um, a, a significant number of trees planted uh, so that they'll be readily available to all Australian consumers and provide. Uh, a, bit of, a, a bit of differentiation, a bit of excitement and just uh, different flavour profiles for the mango-loving Australian consumers.
7: And will, will that mean pulling out old varieties to plant these new varieties or, or going into sort of virgin country?
6: It's, it's both. We will more and more focus on removing older varieties uh, at, rather than greenfield sites, but it'll be a combination of both
7: and what makes you confident michael that consumers want more mango varieties
6: what makes us confident is that consumers tell us all the time across all categories that they're excited by trying something new and all consumers have different taste palates you know um, a lot of baby boomers like me grew up loving the kensington pride mango Uh, but my taste buds have moved on and others, others would, have, would have as well. So I think that uh, we're all seeking for, a cha- for change and uh, a, a level of indulgence with our food that only new varieties can bring.
1: That is Michael Simonetta. He is the CEO of Perfection Fresh, speaking there to Matt Brand about some new mango varieties that that company is starting to roll out. Now, they're not the only different varieties you might be seeing in shops There's also ones like the Lady Jane and the Lady Grace mangoes. Uh, they were both bred by Ken Rayner from Catherine, and there's more and more of them coming out as the trees in Catherine start to reach maturity. Our will report in town there, Max Rowley, he went out to the farm that grows them to have a taste.
2: So this is one of our Lady Janes, Max. So, um, you know, this one's, this one's pulled off the tree, you know, freshly this morning, it's, it's ripe. It's um, ready to go, and we'll cut it open and have a look. Yeah, so good, good quality fruit. Nice sugars. and juicy. Yeah, look at that beautiful flesh on the inside, and you have that nice blush on the outside as well. That nice pink, pink, orangey blush, but that that flesh there, that's that's just amazing, isn't it? And that's the sort of quality we, we strive for here at neutrino up up in Catherine and and this year, you know, on the back of agronomy and all the hard work um it, it's all worked out but look at that hey look at that juicy nice nice yellowy flesh there like you, you can't beat that it's it's disease free you know we've had rain you know nearly every evening all the way through our harvest for 2022 and 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 our fruit still looks amazing you know and you know the agromony that's gone into that and all the hard work from all, all the staff here you know at new Toronto, from on the farm and, and those behind the scenes it's, it's all worked out for this year and and we, we couldn't have asked for a better better piece of fruit you know and all our all of our varieties have um worked out really well this year so yeah we couldn't be more happier take me through you know these are new varieties what were you looking for in the new varieties so the the new varieties you know we were, we we're looking for something different something new you know a change a change as good as a holiday so you know if the customers you know going through Woolworths and, and other stores you know, it's not just KPs anymore. There's a lot of other varieties out there, and and you know, with the Lady Grace and the Lady Jane, you know, we're looking for something, something different, something a new taste, a new flavour, a new colour, and something that's appealing to the eye. And and you know, we we haven't missed this year, you know. And and thanks to Kenneth Rayner, the founder of these varieties, you know, he's put 30, 30 odd years in, into these varieties, and I think he's done done a good job. Yeah, so yeah, big shout out to Kenny Rayner. What gives you the confidence that you know Australian c- consumers when they're in the supermarket that they want new varieties of mango well well why not you know so you can walk through the shop and center and it's all year it's kp or or calypso or an r2 and, and there's nothing you know nothing negative to say about those varieties it's all all good tasting fruit but you got a good kp you know we grow those here and 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 why not you know it, new fruit new new things new ideas and um more farming practices and, and all that all that quality work goes into them and if you can deliver a nice piece of fruit that tastes nice and looks appealing well yeah go for it you know it's here to keep evolving with, with the fruit varieties and you know you, you can't just keep keep going with one, one variety there's no fun there right so, so. And how long have you been growing the Lady Jane and Lady Grace and selling them commercially? So you know 2013 going back that far that you know we started, we started planting them on farm here, um, you know I think the last last two or three years commercially, and there was a few trial trial batches that went out for a couple of years before that. Um, you know, and this this year with our yield, so we're up 40% on yield, 48% sorry on yield um, for 2022 than where we were for 2021, and quality has definitely improved a long way too. It's it's gone, it's definitely lifted there. You know, it's hitting the it's hitting the kitchen table and the supermarkets really well and um we're, we're pretty happy with it but you know there's still still more, more work to go into them and um there's no no shortage of hard work around here so we'll keep putting it in and we'll keep getting good results out of the back of that right and how are these fruits selling in the market yeah they, they're going pretty good we're you know we're not throwing any away put it that way and they're, they're all they're all coming off the table so um we've had some pretty good reports back you know i've had fruit you know we've got fruit landing in new south wales and and queensland and other areas in, in woolworths and yeah it's it's going well and and you know all the reports i get back they're, they're looking really good yeah on the shelf and they're lasting they are definitely got got some legs in them so yeah how much of your crop is made up of these new varieties yeah so you know mo- most of our cropping here is is the kps then we have the r2s on the back of that then we're you know, we're only up, up to a small amount now with the LGs and LJs, uh, but we're looking at, at expanding. If we, we just got to get it right, and, and we'll keep working on them and, and, and um, yeah, just getting all the small things right to, to get the result at the end of the day. Yeah, so, you know, the the more we get right, the more it, it, it drives us to expand, yeah. Is that the plan, to expand in these varieties? If, if there's an ask for it and a call for it and, you know... Um, supermarkets like Woolworths and, and these guys, um, and and they believe that there is a market for them, which we do. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Just just if you get something right, well, definitely you want to expand your. Yeah, so, is that still up for debate? Then, or are you still still trying to see if these varieties are catching on in, in the supermarkets? Yeah, so you know we have we have a fair few hectares in the ground now, and we we have put another another you know nine hectares planted they were planted late last year so expansion there is still underway um we we haven't pulled back on it yet on on expanding but we'll we'll see how they go you know over the next couple of years and you know with with anything you know expansion you just you you don't want to do it overnight it takes you a few years to you know puzzle everything together and, and get it right so yeah you know we're definitely expanding with them now
1: but yeah we'll just see where we end up Dale McDonald, he is Neutrano's farm manager in Catherine, and he was speaking there about the new Lady Jane and the Lady Grace varieties and about how they've been going. Uh, If you want to read more about these new varieties coming to your shelves, there's an online story up on the ABC Rural website. Just punch in ABC Rural in your search engine and you'll find it there. We've had a text in on Sean from Livingston on 0487991057 on Mangoes. Sean writes, Mangoes at $3.50 each at the two major outlets is a complete joke. Ease up, says Sean. Not too happy there about the price in the big supermarkets. It's rapidly approaching the one o'clock news. Uh, up In five minutes we'll be speaking to the weather If you've got any questions, send us a text now we'll speak to you in five
2: Hi, my name is Remy I'm working at a tropical fruit farm Out in the rural area of Darwin We're a mango and dragon fruit
4: grower With three different varieties The red, white and yellow And you're listening to The Country Hour On ABC Radio
1: G'day there, Dan Fitzgerald is my name. Thanks for joining me for the Country Hour on this Monday. If you missed the first half of our show, you can always catch it back up again via the podcast. It's really easy to find. Just jump on your phone. There will be a podcast app there and you just type in Northern Territory Country Hour. You can find all our past episodes and you can download them so you can listen to them when you're out in the paddock or out driving somewhere. Uh, still to come this half hour, we're going to be catching up with the Chief Plant Health Officer of the NT. We've got an update about the guava root knot nematode. It was first found uh, in Darwin last month, uh, and it's popped up in a few more places, so we'll be talking about that soon. Uh, but right now, it is time to check in with what's happening in the weather. We've got Sally Cutter at the Bureau today. G'day, Sally. How you doing?
8: No, not too bad, thanks.
1: It was a, uh, a bit of a wet weekend across um, the top end. Uh, where were some of the best rainfall figures?
8: Oh, you could say it was a wet weekend right across the t- entire territory. If we start down south, Otunga had 26 millimetres, Bond Springs turn off 19. They're the biggest in the, to the old Alice Springs east. Out west, we had, or Pine Hill had 9 millimetres over five days. The Wodharka four millimetres. Elliot got twenty six millimetres over the weekend. If in the Victoria River District, we're looking at ninety five millimetres at Shoeing Tool ninety eight at Old, Old Dalhousie, eighty one at Coolabar. The and so they, they were the, the biggest figures through that area. And then there was thirty four at Border Creek and and seventy five at Townsend Creek. So there's, there's still some good fours out there down in the, the Rose MacArthur. We've had 112 at Elsie River Homestead, and I think most of that fell last or overnight. The 47 millimetres at Beswick Bridge, the 71 at Roper River, Mataranka. The Nathan River Ranger stations come in with some pretty big totals as well for, over the three days. We had 150 millimetres for three day total. And then, if we getting into the top end, 112 at Nahl the what are we 36, or oh, sorry, 26, Merganella, 33, the, in the western top end. So generally, sort of around that. So there's a number around that 60, 50
1: to 60, 70 millimetre mark. Yeah, we you had we, some, some of the other We've heard of is Numble Numul Station um, had about 48. There was also nearly 50 millimetres at Sturt Plains, um, just south of Dalmaro. This is what the Dyer family yeah. posted online. That's a lovely sound, isn't it, yeah. Sally? Um, and it, oh and, yeah. And there's a fair bit of it more around the top end as we go to air this afternoon. Yes,
8: there's certainly a fair bit of rain. Right around the Darwin got a fair bit of rain overnight, so we took up to what 119 for the last three days. But if you're looking since 9am, we've had 34 millimetres down at Port Keats. Even Arnhem Land's getting into the Act 22 out at Gove, Keep Rivers 18, Wilden Station 14. And if you're looking at the radar, the basically the down the west coast, we've got a that's sort of easing off, but we've got a line of showers and storms basically from so round about that Goulburn Island area down towards catherine and and the, everything's gradually moving to the west we 've got a bit of a trough lying through the southern parts of the Carpentaria district, and that 's just really boosting the sort of rainfall through that area so there's it's clear it's starting if there was most of it this morning there's still a lot of rain over the other in the Queensland side, but we are now starting to see the storms fire on the other end of that trough. In the southern Car- sorry, the southern Gregory district and up into the Carpentaria district. So we, we, there's some good storms around that you may see some heavy falls. Particularly so either they're slow moving or you get multiple storms coming over in quick succession, you may start getting some pre- fairly big totals. But it's just been it's very active, and if you're off being off the north coast you've seen there's a lot of storms up there they're starting to ease off now because we're going into the slightly more unfavorable time over water but having said that we are still seeing some of those storms firing up.
1: Yeah it certainly looks busy around Catherine just lots of small storms you just might be hit by Mm -hmm. shower after shower. Um, In in terms of the next few days Sally uh, where's the best place uh, in terms of rainfall?
8: Uh, t- today and tomorrow probably your best chances or best days for rainfall. We've got that trough moving north, and it's going to move through the top end tomorrow. To be near the north coast on Wednesday, and then unfortunately, we're going to see the good southeast easterlies come through and really clear everything off. It's hopefully it's not going to be too humid, but it's going it's definitely going to sort of see those temperatures increase. So it's going to, going to become hot. And it might even be enough the combination of that drier air and the winds and the temperatures just to kick up some fire danger, to elevate the fire dangers around Catherine. So just be aware of that if you are in the Catherine area, that the, particularly in the Gamber Grass areas, you could, you could see some of those higher fire dangers.
1: Yeah, okay. And uh, the next few days for Central Australia, how are things looking?
8: Please, Clear skies. The showers, we might see a few showers and storms in the northern Tanami and in the Barclay tomorrow, but by the time we get to Wednesday, everything should really have contracted to north of daily waters. So things, it is warming up. We do have south easterly winds and things are warming up, yeah. but um, it's just the fact that the, there's no cloud around to sort of keep the sun away. So I think, think the air's just gradually warming up as we go through the week.
1: Yeah, okay. All righty. Um, thanks for the update, Sally. That's okay. That is Sally Cutter there at the Weather Bureau. And, yeah, looking at the radar, it is very busy at the moment. There's showers all the way around to Catherine, uh, where we've had a text story from somebody saying Catherine is getting some rumbling right now. It certainly is. And all the way up through around Pine Creek, up to Jabiru and in Arnhem Land there. Um, If it is raining at your place this afternoon, please let us know. We just love getting your weather reports here on the Country Hour. The text number is 0487991057.
5: Know your emergency plan this summer. A third consecutive London. And rely on ABC to be with you. What can I do? Broadcasting up-to-the-minute critical information.
4: We have issued an emergency warning. Online
5: at ABC Emergency and on your local ABC radio. ABC
4: radio, reliable. Stay
5: safe, stay connected.
3: I don't know what I'd do without the ABC.
5: Download the ABC Listen app and stay connected with your local ABC radio station.
1: Now last month, a pest known as the guava root knot nematode was found on a farm in the Darwin rural area. It's a tiny little pest and it can affect the yield of vegetables, causing, as the parrot's name, some severe knotting in a plant's roots. Uh, The Department of Primary Industry has since upped its surveillance for this nematode after finding it um, and it's popped up now in some more locations, Uh, Chief Plant Health Officer Anne Walters explains.
0: So when I came on uh, the program a few weeks ago, what we reported was that we had done some surveillance and found this particular nematode at four properties across the Darwin region. Um, And what we've now found is that um, with samples that have been sent in from the community, which we've been very appreciative of, we've now found it at seven different places. uh, And that includes Malac, Rapid Creek, Enola, Lianya, Palmerston, Middle Point, and on Croker Island. So it is quite widespread, as you can see.
1: So, does that tell you that uh, this nematode might have been in the Northern Territory for some time?
0: Yeah, so um, when we last spoke to your listeners, um, I explained that what had happened was that we had a sample sent in. We thought that it was this particular nematode, which was obviously of concern. And we one of the things that we do is we go back on our historical samples just to check that we haven't seen it before. And at the time, um, because the right primers weren't available, so the right technology wasn't there, we weren't able to detect it to the level that we, we are now able to do. And so when we went back, we found that one of the samples was actually positive for this particular species. And that sample was dated 2021. So we know that we've had it in the Territory for at least 12 months. Um, and obviously this is just, this um, spread is showing us that, yes, we've had it for some time.
1: And Croker Island is quite a remote place to find it.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously the more widespread uh, pest is, the more likely it is that you can't eradicate. And that's always a challenge um, when you do find in um you know, over long distances. And I guess that's really pointing towards the fact that it is difficult to eradicate this particular pest.
1: DPI staff are expected to do some more surveillance this week. Are you expecting to find some more of this nematode?
0: Yeah, we're um, continuing, obviously, with our surveillance efforts. We're also asking the public to contact us if they see anything that looks unusual and that means that plants are starting to fail or are not thriving very well, Um, particularly, you know, some of the host plants for this particular species, things like tomatoes and cucumbers and so on. Um, If people do sort of pull the plants out and they see these galls on the roots, that's usually an indication of this particular pest and what happens is that that's the plant's response to the nematode being present. So if people do remove their plants and, you know, thinking that this plant's not doing very well in these conditions and see something on the roots that looks a bit unusual, we're asking people to send in samples to us and people can contact us on 1800 881
1: Have you seen any evidence of this nematode badly affecting a crop?
0: Well, the reason that it was um, first reported was that one of our growers was seeing his cucumbers failing, so they weren't doing very well, and so he asked staff to come out and have a look, and that's when we sort of saw the first symptoms. Um, As I mentioned, the nematode is microscopic, so you can't actually see it, so it's really the symptoms of those galls on the roots that are key, Um, and that's really how we've um, detected it.
1: If this nematode keeps getting found in more places um, around the Northern Territory, is there a chance that other jurisdictions say Queensland might put any bans on NT produce or the like?
0: Um, Yes, I believe that um, other jurisdictions are looking at that as an option. Um, We have done an analysis on that and most of our growers are not sending the products that might be affected interstate. The other thing is a lot of the products aren't actually directly affected, so it's more the plants themselves or the soil, and so the restrictions would be put on the movement of plants and soil rather than the products themselves.
1: Okay, so how likely do you think that is at this stage, um, some sort of restrictions being put in place?
0: I, I believe that other jurisdictions will put restrictions in place.
1: Okay. Any idea when?
0: No, I guess it will happen as soon as they can so that they can protect their industries, which is, you know, what the system is designed to do.
1: What advice or words do you have for farmers um, who, who might be have crops that uh, are susceptible to this nematode?
0: We're suggesting that all growers um, maintain really high standards of biosecurity, make sure that you, um, you know, put your – Put anything that comes into your property on into quarantine. Um, make sure that your boots are cleaned before you move on to into areas where you've got crops. Um, do all of the things that you need to do in order to ma- make sure that the pests can't come onto your property, such as nematodes. As I mentioned, it comes in the soil, so make sure that your equipment is clean, your machinery is clean, your boots and anything else that comes into contact with your produce is clean.
1: And Walters, she is the NT's Chief Plant Health Officer speaking there. And if you suspect that you might have this nematode or something similar, um, the advice is to please call 1-800-084-881. It is 17 minutes past one here on the Country Hour with me, Dan Fitzgerald. Now, just quickly, uh, the NT government is dodging accusations of greenwashing after it emerged that references to petrochemicals were scrubbed from websites that were promoting the proposed Middle Arm Industrial Precinct on Darwin Harbour. Uh, the words were quietly deleted as green groups have ramped up their campaign against the Middle Arm development. Jacqueline Breen has the story.
9: Clean and green, relatively. That's how the Territory Government's spruiking plans for its so-called sustainable development precinct at Middle Arm. And one word previously used to describe plans for gas-based manufacturing at the site is now one the Government seems to regret in the face of fierce criticism.
3: This is not a petrochemical plant. This is a sustainable uh, future project that is based
9: on renewable energy into the future. The language has changed on the Government's end. The word petrochemicals has now disappeared from government websites since the Chief Minister took issue with Green Groups, who she says have been misleading. We've
3: seen a little bit of unfair campaigning and I've met with groups and uh, called them out on it,
9: uh, trying to paint this as a petrochemical plant with smokestacks into the air. Possibly trying to paint things the other way, the Chief Minister dodged the question multiple times as to whether that meant there'd be no petrochemical production at the site forcing reporters to ask if she could rule it out.
3: What I'm saying is we don't know the
9: industries that will go there. That is something that will be decided into the future. Without knowing what industries will be setting up shop, an environmental assessment of the whole proposed precinct is underway. The government says individual projects will then also be assessed individually. The hub's a huge part of the plan for Labor's vision of a $40 billion territory economy, a vision that's still not quite in focus yet.
1: That is Jacqueline Breen there from ABC News. It is 20 past one here on The Country Hour with me, Dan Fitzgerald. Now, I just want to talk about tomorrow's program briefly. Uh, tomorrow is your chance to take control of the music you hear on The Country Hour and feel good about it. Tomorrow is the ABC Gives request Athon. So if you want to hear a tune on The Country Hour... Um, all you have to do is donate, and the money raised will all go to supporting Food Bank NT, and, um, and a little bit goes a long way. So every dollar you donate creates two meals. If you donate $10, that's going to feed a hungry Territorian for a week. So I want you to please get your requests in mind, um, but... As we go to a tune today, we are going to get a request in early, um, and this one goes out to the Dyer family. They got in touch because they've just had some great rains over the last couple of days, so they must be feeling good there um, to finally get some rain. Um, so, yeah, the Dyer family at Sturt Plain Station. Uh, this one goes out to you.
8: The know that it's that
1: time. Sarah Stora and John Williamson there goes out to Sturt Plain Station this afternoon with some good rain. If you want to get in on requesting music, you can get in soon right now for tomorrow's Country Hour, the ABC request, Request-a-thon. Uh, you donate some money and you can pick what we play on the show tomorrow. It is 24 minutes one pa- past one here on the Country Hour with me, Dan Fitzgerald. Now, I want to talk to you about food waste. And it's estimated that a quarter of all food grown is wasted even before it leaves the farm whether or not it's a matter of things like markets, enough people to pick the food, or food not meeting supermarket specifications. But the CSIRO has been working with an Australian startup company to turn that waste into healthy snacks, as David Clawton reports.
5: NutraV's first processing module is located on the farm with their parent company, Fresh Select. That's one of Australia's largest brassica growers and a long-term coal supplier. The waste cauliflowers, broccoli and pumpkins are picked and sorted in the mornings, washed and then dried and turned into powder, which is used to make the snacks all on the same day. I met nutri CEO Raquel Said at the CSIRO's Ag Catalyst event in Sydney, where she explained more about the concept.
3: nutri is a food manufacturing business, but essentially what we're trying to do is take food waste from our partner farm, which taking all of the vegetables that can't be harvested um, and turning them into high-nutrient vegetable powders. And those powders are now the star ingredient in our uh, nutri goodies snacks. So something that would otherwise have gone to waste is now being repurposed into a food that Australians can enjoy. Right.
5: And there's a lot of waste, isn't there? Like, And that's a big business. They're supply, yeah. supplying coal, so they're doing... Thousands of tonnes, I imagine, every year. How, what's the waste stat from that operation?
3: Yes, that's a really good question. Uh, just pure waste, there can be you know, up to about 15 tonnes a week of waste matter. Um, that's excess leaves, stalks. Um, it can be from a, an oversupply. It can be weather damage. Sometimes they're just out of spec, too big, too small. That's um, a large number of waste that we're, we're dealing with. It's
5: been a heartbreaking problem, hasn't it? We've seen uh, fruit and vegetable dumped all around the country for yeah, all sorts of reasons. That's right, that's and right. So, this maybe could provide a solution to that problem.
3: That's right and you know if you were only in Melbourne a couple of days ago you would have noticed that we got a large amount of hail in spring. That kind of environmental impact can cause a lot of damage. It's real, it's there. You know those crops will be damaged, they will probably be rejected because they you know they don't look a certain way or they've been um, impacted. So it's a real life example of how we can be taking that produce um, it might not sound sexy vegetable powders but let me tell you we're making an impact and we're able to make a difference to farm and to Australians, so I think it's a good initiative to get behind.
5: So what do these snacks made from waste food taste like? I asked a couple of people at the conference.
0: <laughs> wow, that's crunchy. Very crunchy.
5: And it looks more like a, like a breakfast cereal almost, or a
3: twisty but brown.
0: Yeah. Nice bite sizes.
3: Very crunchy. Yeah. I like them. Oh, really? They taste like, um, have you ever had those uh, bean snaps? Like very similar, but yeah. like quite sweet in comparison.
5: So this is um, created from waste stuff on the farm that doesn't meet specs or there's no market. So they, they grind it up, dry it, turn it into a snack like that and deliver it to the supermarket the same day. So is that is that appealing?
3: That's very cool. I like that. I like not wasting food.
5: Andrew Lawrence from the CSIRO was involved in testing and proving up the equipment to grind up and dry the vegetables, before handing it to NutriVee to commercialise. He says there's a big health advantage in snacks produced from
7: powdered vegetables. What the NutriVee goodies actually bring along is those two servings of, of vegetables in each pack. So, why fresh is best, um, you know, this is an easy, an easy way to, to consume those
5: vegetables. Dr. Michael Robertson is the director of CSIRO Agriculture and Food, which has been working with a number of startup companies on new ideas in agriculture.
6: It's a beautiful example um, of uh, us turning what would be waste into a high value product. So it's a really lovely example of how agriculture is getting more and more conscious about recycling and reducing its environmental footprint. But not only that, it also is a great example of how we can use our pilot plant to help startups like Raquel's test the technology prove that it works, and then take it into their own business and scale it. Meanwhile, Raquel
5: Said is planning the next stage of the project, which is about scaling up the business.
3: The uh, initial idea was the plant that we have in Werribee South was almost our sort of um, feeder and testing plant to see is this concept actually viable. We understand that that salad bowl region in Victoria isn't the only waste issue uh, catchment area. It's a problem all across Australia, right? So if uh, the fact that it's working now, we've got plans to actually put drying hubs across different growing areas of Australia and we think that could really make an impact farmers all across Australia.
5: How much this equipment will cost on-farm is not clear yet, but consumers can taste the snacks now.
1: That is David Claughton there with that report. And that's about all we have time for on the Country Hour today. Uh, We have just got a text here on our story previously talking about some of the new varieties of mangoes that you might be seeing on your shelves. This text here comes from Nico, who writes, A small supermarket has been selling the fabulous Erwin mango. It's greatly overlooked, has an amazing flavour, juice and excellent flesh. And Nico says, I've never understood why industry has not embraced this fruit. Consumers are seriously missing out, says Nico on 0487991057. I must be missing out too. I've never had an Irwin mango. I'd be keen to give it a go if, we, if I could. And that is it for the Country Hour for today. Uh, I'll be back on the radio, same time, same place tomorrow. Take it easy.